Welcome to the radio ministry of Cedar Grove United Methodist Church. May God fill you and transform you through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now for some music and then Pastor Brian Bully. Our gospel reading this morning from the Gospel of Luke, the 13th chapter. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today I'm going to talk about two common wrong beliefs that are among many people around the world. These beliefs are equal and opposite ideas. I'll talk about the first one for a while and then I'll talk about the second one. First, there is the idea that outside forces are so strong that a person has little or no control over their life. In the ancient past, the, in the Greek and Roman world, there was the idea of fate. 
Your entire story was written from before you were born until the day you died. The Greeks imagined three goddesses who were known as the fates. The first one spun a thread, which was your life. The second one measured out the thread, and the third one snipped the thread, and you died. And the same idea appears in Norse mythology as the three Norns, who also spun and measured and snipped a thread. In these beliefs, even the most powerful of the gods and goddesses were subject to the control of the fates. And so many people throughout history have bought into this lie. Today, we still have many people who believe in fate. Both an obvious belief where we speak of fate controlling their lives, and they speak that way, and the less obvious belief in fate. The less obvious belief can be found when someone makes an unlearned skill part of their identity. Like, I'm not a math person. Or I'm not musical. Or I'm not a people person. I'm not a reader. These people are actually, when you get down to it, believers in fate. They just don't recognize it as such. For they don't recognize that given enough concentrated work and practice and time and prayer, they can learn the skills that they say fate hasn't given them. They make their weaknesses into their identities instead of realizing that a weakness is simply just that. And with God's help, those weaknesses can be overcome. Let me give you a couple of examples. Have you ever met someone who thinks, adults can do that, but I can't? You have a child who believes that? Maybe an adult child who believes that? You see, you become an adult the day you realize that with God's help, you can do that too. My youngest daughter always, always struggled with math. In fact, she had tremendous troubles with algebra. But many colleges require college algebra to graduate. And this difficulty with math isn't unusual, partly because so many teachers speak about how they aren't a math person. And so the students accept the idea that some people can do math, and for the rest it will be forever a mystery. So many students have believed this that a few years ago, right across the way here at WVU Parkersburg, when I taught there, there were so many students requiring remedial math courses that they offered eight different sections of 40 students each for basic elementary arithmetic. And for those of you who claim that you aren't a math person, that's 320 students. They're taking the most basic math course offered. I did multiply it out there for you. Yeah, what's the reality? What's the reality about math? In second grade, most students are asked to memorize the answers to the multiplication table. There's 81 separate math facts of which about half are simply the reverse of the other, like three times two equals six and two times three equals six. And some students memorize these quickly and are forever known as good in math. And other students have a difficult time memorizing them, and they and their parents decide that they aren't good at math. And despite all the different skills that you need to learn in math over the years, these students decide that they aren't math people, and they stick with that the rest of their lives. My daughter was one, until she decided that she would struggle through and work hard and concentrate and pray, and then she passed college algebra on the third try. 
And now she realizes that she can learn almost anything given enough hard work and focus and concentration, enough time and prayer. Fate did not overcome her and God's plan for her life. I wasn't a people person. When I was a senior in high school, I took a test that told me You, you like that, do you? <laughs> I took a test that told me that I was more abstract and anti-people than a mathematics major. But my senior year in college, I took a marketing course, and that changed my life because I understood then that there was a science to understanding people. It's a skill that you can learn with enough hard work and focus and concentration, enough time and prayer. And you know, now I'm a pastor. Fate did not overcome me and God's plan. Now those of you who have met her understand that my wife is better at understanding people than I am. I'm better at understanding math and singing than she is. But you know, those are matters of degree. We both understand that fate does not control us. What matters in our abilities are hard work, and focus, and concentration, time, and prayer, and the gifts given by the Holy Spirit. But we refuse to accept this imaginary thing called fate. We refuse to allow that it controls us. I once knew a person who believed that a black cat crossing the road in front of them was a sign that something bad would happen. Some may call it superstition, but it's actually, when you get down to it, just a belief in fate. Another friend pointed out that he refused to believe that a random black cat controlled the events in his life. You may be the same way. Do you let a black cat that you've never met before control your life? There are other people who accept fate as fate, their addictions. You say, my father was an alcoholic, so I'm an alcoholic. Or my family always cussed up a storm, so I can't help but use every four-letter word there is. Or my mother was manipulative, so I'm manipulative. Blaming, blaming things on our families is actually another way of blaming fate. And the same thing goes for all those people who blame criminal behavior of people on their lack of education, on poverty, on racism, on the neighborhood, on peer groups, on parents. It's simply another way of saying, it's fate, can't help it. But if you look around, you'll find that there are always people who have overcome each of those weaknesses with God's help to become great successes, to become highly ethical and moral people, to become wonderful examples in the world. We cannot let our identities become bound up in our weaknesses. Andrew Carnegie was a poor Irish boy when the Irish were considered scum immigrants. He had a fourth grade education, but he built the first billion dollar corporation, U.S. Steel. And he spent the last 20 years of his life giving away his fortune by building libraries and music halls and museums. Charlie Pride was a black man who decided to become a country and western singer at a time when only whites were supposed to sing country. Blacks at the time were supposed to sing the blues or R&B. And it was also a time when most southerners still believed that segregation was right and proper. Yet 
Charlie Pride had 52 top 10 country hits. Closer to home, when a young woman from Ben's Run up in Tyler County grew up, who grew up in a tar paper shack with outdoor toilets and a hand pump for water, when she got married, a woman in the community remarked that another poorhouse is starting. She eventually became president pro temp of the, US, of the West Virginia State Senate. That's Donna Boley, my mother. Don't let people take away your power by telling you that you can't do that because of fate, that you're just stuck, whether because of what you haven't learned yet, or your background, or your family, or what you don't own. Don't let people look at you and make your weaknesses into your identity. That's giving far too much power to those who would keep you down, and not enough power to God and your own efforts. Don't let people make your struggle become your identity, for that's the same as saying that fate is stronger than you and God. One Saturday morning, a bent-over old woman, that's how she was known as the bent-over old woman, slowly walked to the Sabbath service at the synagogue. She walked like she was carrying 70 pounds on her shoulders. She had heard that a wonderful young teacher, Jesus of Nazareth, was in town and would probably be speaking at the service. It was a difficult walk, for she had been crippled for the last 18 years and could not straighten up at all. She came in and was searching for a seat when Jesus called to her, Come forward, grandmother. And embarrassed, she looked to leave, but then she came forward to Jesus and he said, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. It was a miracle from God. She was no longer the bent up old woman. She was free from her burden and she stood tall. Like her, reject a belief in fate. God controls the universe, not three women spinning, measuring, and cutting a thread. God has a plan for our lives, but God is also polite. So very, very polite. God gives us a choice in almost everything we do. We are not forced into a pathway. If you want to work hard, focus, concentrate, and spend enough time and pray hard enough, you can break free of things with God's help. Fate has no power. But notice that prayer is a necessary part of this. And a general prayer isn't good enough. We have to pray to the God who is real to gain God's help and power and advice. We must pray to the God who gave up his own son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place because he loves us so much. I want you to notice what the prophet Isaiah in our reading wrote about what God said is the path to success. He said, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He'll satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. 
your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. Great promise. But there are some conditions to this, some ways to have God helping us. We have to focus upon others rather than ourselves. God tells us more. He says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you'll find your joy in the Lord and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. For you see, there is a path which God recommends we follow. And we would be wise to follow that path because God created our universe and our world. Just as God created physical laws like gravity that we need to be aware of for a successful life, particularly if we're walking by a cliff edge, God also created psychological and spiritual and social laws which make the path to success work for us. Going with those laws works better, just as it's better to let a boat go with the river's current than fighting against the current. We need to study and understand these laws that God made if we're to be successful. Otherwise, we'll suffer heartbreak and exhaustion and troubles. Following these laws does not get us into heaven. That's done by choosing to follow Jesus. But following these laws will make our life better. This is why the joyful, successful people come to church on Sundays rather than work or sleep. They are here to learn how God designed the universe. I spoke of two equal and opposite wrong beliefs. A belief in fate was one of the wrong beliefs, either the obvious belief in fate or less obvious belief in fate that comes when we turn our weaknesses into our identities. But the second wrong belief is just the opposite. It's the belief that we control everything in our lives. However, this belief is something that most people soon discover is wrong. For example, if you ask a cat to sit, or you ask another man's dog to come to obey your commands, you find the limits of what you can control. Most of us learn that the limits to control come when we ask our teenage children to do something. But for everyone, we do eventually reach a point in the lives where there's something that we can't control and it affects us greatly. For example, I worked once at a company that bought a division from another company. After six months, it became obvious that there was not enough money in our company to keep the entire business going because the recently purchased division was needing so much cash and was very important to the future of the company. The owner decided to lay me and a couple of other people off because our small division was barely breaking even. It wasn't in my control. There wasn't anything I could do about it. But suddenly, I found myself unemployed. Sandra was pregnant and she was on bed rest, mandatory bed rest. We had no income. But God had a plan. Within a couple of weeks, a customer tracked me down and told me I needed to start my own business. He even loaned me money to start that business. And I know that God was involved because I had only met the man once before 
And 18 months later, he didn't even recognize me when we ran into each other at a restaurant. If I'd loaned somebody money, I think I would have recognized them a year and a half later. Of course, his office had many Bible verses, verses in frames hung on that wall, and I wonder if that was a coincidence. That new business he encouraged me to start paid our bills for 15 years. In our lives, we encounter two types of difficulties. And people say, oh, I was fated to run into this difficulty, and, and these difficulties just were there. There was nothing that could be done. Well, the first type of difficulty is best described as troubles that we make for ourselves. An obvious example is the young man who decides that stealing a purse is an easier, quicker way to make money than working for a living. The purse is there, it has money in it, and it'll only take a couple of seconds and a pair of fast feet to get the money. And so the young thief swipes the purse and gets away. But soon enough, he needs more money and he steals another purse, but eventually someone catches him and he goes to prison and he's bullied there and he becomes rougher and tougher. And as time goes on, he's released. And this time he decides to start stealing cars. And of course, eventually he's caught and he spends more time in prison. And soon he's an old man with nothing to show for his life. He's brought these troubles upon himself because he's chosen to follow a path that is only about helping himself. And God did not design the world nor our societies to reward the selfish in the long term. Instead, God designed the world to reward those who help others and respect who God is, what God's wisdom and power and love are. He gave us directions in the rules found in the Bible. So turn to God and follow God's path and your life will improve. Now the second type of difficulties that we encounter in life are best described as training and discipline that God puts us through. Discipline is not punishment, but it's from the same word as disciple. It's teaching us to be strong, mature, sensible, and wise. In Hebrews 12, the writer says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. No discipline, needs, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Just as a good coach puts us through a, puts us through a rigorous training schedule, God does the same for all of us. But instead of running up and down a field, God gives us assignments to accomplish. In a recent example that he's spoken of, Brooks. Brooks Lehman has been trained by God recently. Over the last couple of years, you know, Brooks has been given more and more opportunities to speak about God's love. At first it was simple, speak about the Gideons and ask for donations at different churches. But as Brooks has developed as a speaker, God's given him more and more time and expected an entire sermon and songs. A month ago, Jean Huber asked for help cleaning out her house, and while helping her, Brooks and Jean began talking about the lack of worship services at the assisted living home where she now lives. And pretty soon, Brooks found himself leading those services three out of four Sundays, delivering complete sermons and worship services. God is training Brooks. For what? Well, that remains to be seen. And God is training you for something, too. What is that? 
Your training might simply be, right now, learning to rely upon God's financial provisions. You might be in the part of God's training program where you learn to rely on God for your health or the health of others. You might have other trust issues that God is working on with you, like living without a steady job. Or you might be learning why God doesn't want people to enjoy debt too much. But be sure, God is putting you through training for the future with everything you're going through. For it would be a terrible shame if you reached your 80s and you still had the lack of toughness that the average teenager does. My wife and daughter were talking a while back about the difference being a parent makes. After all, when you're single and you're used to turning to others for help with no responsibilities, you can become pretty whiny about the most trivial inconveniences. But when you're raising several children, you learn the meaning of tough it out because it's now you whom the others are turning to for help. You've learned how to go to sleep as a go without sleep, I'm sorry, as a new parent. And you learn how to persuade difficult people when you have toddlers. And you learn how to really budget well for food when your teenage son hits its growth spurt. And all of these trainings make you tougher and more mature and give you more things to work with, more tools. And all of these trials come from God in response to the choices that you make in your life. God's never going to let you go through stuff without teaching you lessons. I learned to play the piano in elementary and middle school because my parents knew I needed to be kept busy, and you can think what that meant. But then I rarely played for over 20 years. But at my first two churches, I really didn't have any option. I was the only piano player at one church, and at the other church, my pianist had painful arthritis. So I began to play and practice again. And now a dozen years later, I think I'm pretty good. God knew I needed to play for God's glory one day. What skills has God been training you for to have for the future? Let's go back a minute to the bent bent over old woman who had been healed and could now walk with her head held high. Do you think that everyone celebrated that day? No. In fact, the leader of the synagogue was indignant. He told the people that there's six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. He was upset at Jesus and the woman because Jesus had worked a miracle on the Sabbath instead of resting. He was upset at the woman because she had given him the opportunity to work. You know, this, this response is normal. People don't like it when comfortably weakened people are set free and able to become strong, upright members of society again. It bothers us when the man we've comfortably labeled as a drunken bum comes to church, is healed by Jesus, and then starts to tell his testimony in every service. And it bothers us when he gets a good job. It bothers us when the ex-con who has served his time but found Jesus at the prison ministry moves in next to us. It upsets us when the former drug user becomes a Bible study teacher. But Jesus has something to say that had something to say that day to the leader of the synagogue and still says that this today to us when we start feeling that way. You hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox and donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Isn't this work? So why shouldn't this woman whom Satan has bound 
has kept bound for 18 long years be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her. Have you been bound by an obvious belief in fate? Or have you been bound by a less obvious belief in fate? Believing your weakness is your destiny and your identity. Have you been bound by a belief that you can't do something? Have you been bound by a belief that you can do anything, anything on your own, without God's help? And if you don't, it's a failure that comes clear back on you? Have you been bound by troubles that you've brought upon yourself? Have you been bound by a belief that God's training is God's punishment? Well, come forward to Jesus and let him set you free. Set down your weakness, your belief that your identity is given by your weakness. Set down your can'ts. Put aside your total independence and your failures and lean on God. Put aside your self-inflicted troubles and study God's commands. Stop believing that God's training is God's punishment and rejoice that God is training you for something grand. Set down all of these burdens. Give them to Jesus and stand up tall for the future. Or maybe, maybe, you want to come forward and pray for another to know the love of Christ. Cedar Grove United Methodist Church and Pastor Brian Boley would like to thank you for listening to last week's pre-recorded sermon. Join us live this Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and on Facebook. We are located on Route 47, a mile and a half east off I-77, just across from WVU Parkersburg campus. Donations may be mailed to Cedar Grove UMC, 168 Old Turnpike Road, Parkersburg, West Virginia, 26104. Or you can text the word GIVE to 1304-244-1903 or visit our website, cedargroveunitedmethodist.org and click on the GIVE tab. This will bring up a form where you can determine how much you would like to give. Thank you and God bless you in your life.